Welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on plant-based nutrition. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of plant-powered topics, including health, plant-based nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, to teach you how you can be your most powerful self every day. With interviews with top fitness, health, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a non-judgmental, fun, and happy atmosphere. Sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with not only plant-based experts, but with people who have truly transformed their lives with plant-based nutrition. to be speaking with Carolyn Plummer, who is the founder of The Grassroots Kitchen, an amazing Toronto company specializing in vegan, allergy-friendly energy balls called Energy Spheres. Her products have few ingredients and are not only delicious, but free from a ton of additives as well. Uh, They're also plant-based, made in a peanut, tree nut, and gluten-free facility. Carolyn has a background in holistic nutrition and has an amazing story behind her business. As a mother of two boys with autism spectrum disorder, she found it challenging to find healthy snacks for those with sensitive taste buds and bodies. Recognizing the lack of nutritional uh, and delicious snack options, Carolyn created an answer and founded the Grassroots Kitchen All of our products are free from gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, sesame, sulfites, refined sugar, and GMOs. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for weighing in on this conversation and talking about plant-based food. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Amazing. Uh, So can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you watched your sister go through growing up in the 60s with Uh, far less stringent labeling? Yes. So growing up in the 60s was really tricky for people with food allergies. Um, That was before the era of the EpiPen and before it was mandatory to put um, allergen uh, information on um, food packages. So all consumer packaged goods um, did not have to declare if they were made in a facility with or without, you know, allergens. They didn't have to con- declare may contain. Um, so it was really tricky. And my sister was allergic, like deadly allergic to all legumes and all tree nuts. And um, it really stuck with me because there were countless, op- countless incidences where she had unknowingly ingested an allergen, mm-hmm. um, like at a birthday party or like, you know, even at home. And, um, you know, without an EpiPen, you have minutes to get medical treatment. Uh, so that was um, a huge influence for me in, in creating the Grassroots Kitchen, in addition to my own kids. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing just sticks with you forever. Really, really scary times. Oh, that would be absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we've certainly made monumental changes um, since then. Uh, but where do you feel that the industry is still lacking today? 
I, you know, I do agree. We've made some really great gains. Um, making it mandatory to have um, um, allergen um, declarations on packaging is so critical, even if the product doesn't contain the actual ingredient, just to say made in a facility that contains you know, peanuts or um, shared, made on a line that shares gluten. Those are huge, huge gains that we've made. And those actually haven't really come into place until not that long ago, like around 2011, I think, was when those came in. Um, so in that regard, we've made great gains. Um, I think we really do need to still make room for improvements as food manufacturers. Um, you know, there's a lot of claims being made now, my company included. Um, and I think that going forward, having tighter regulations perhaps on um, some on certifications being needed to make those claims, just like, you know, we have the gluten um, verification and certifications and non-GMO and organic. Um, those are voluntary because they cost a lot of money. That the the, um, the cost to getting those certifications is quite high. So I think there's a barrier um, for food companies starting to be able to um, take it to that next step. So, you know, I think there's definitely some room uh, for improvement in, the, in that regard. Um, and also for millennials who aren't really cooking a lot at home these days, um, they're reliant heavily on packaged prepared foods, um, you know, um, meal replacement options and things like that in restaurants. So I think for people who are not eating at home, there's still a lot of improvement. Um, you know, you go to a cafe and you, you see a vegan or uh, a, a gluten-free product, but yet it's sitting open beside a product that you know contains gluten. So it can't really be gluten-free. So I think there's, you know, taking it just that extra step, uh, I think would help really uh, create more um, opportunities for people who really have significant food allergies. I agree with that. And that's the one thing that attracted me to your product is, you know, I could find snacks that are maybe refined sugar free, but there's still gluten in them. And, you know, there's, there's a give and take with stuff like that. But the one thing about your product, which is so amazing is I can eat it because there's no gluten, you know, there's no refined sugar and it's just, I can eat it without feeling nervous, you know, uh, how am I going to feel afterwards? So it's, Yay. <laughs> it's like life changing when I find uh, like that. Believe that's, me. that's so wonderful to hear that that's inspires me. And that's exactly why we're doing what we do. Oh, well, keep, keep doing that, please. <laughs> So I want to ask, what types of challenges um, did you face as a mother of two boys um, when it comes to finding healthy plant-based options? Yeah, so when so my oldest son is 19 now. So, you know, when when they were young and toddlers, there was not options out there. I mean, I raised my kids in the era of fishy crackers and apple juice. Um, you know, that was the go-to snack, portable snack. Um, in, you know, there really wasn't anything. In terms of, you know, baby food specifically, it was all Gerber's, Earth's Best, and I think PC came out with their own line at that time. But a lot of it had sodium, a lot of it had added sugar, um, some modified starches, it wasn't great. And so I ended up making my own purees, you know, using the old ice cube tray method, you know, you puree them, you freeze them in the ice cube trays and they're little portion controlled sizes um there wasn't a lot of options there really wasn't so um 
you know, I think now parents have so many better options. There's amazing plant-based um, frozen items now that you can buy veggie burgers, veggie balls, like with amazing clean ingredients. Kids don't need to be eating meat. They can go right to just eating plant-based protein choices, which is amazing. That didn't exist when I was, when I had young kids. Um, yeah, I just think there's a lot more option now, but you know, the challenge I think for all moms, regardless of what's out there is just, um, being consistent and modeling what you, you know, do what you say and say what you do. And if you're going to be plant-based, um, make it a family thing. Don't just put it in front of your kids and then, you know, do something different. Have, um, have, just have it available every day and let your kids have access to it. And, um, you know, and don't think about quota and how much they eat in that day, you know, just take the pressure off and just let them be kids and let them experience and experience, um, you know, vegetables and plant-based foods and just make it, make it fun. So how about for a mother who's already sort of made that transition or is starting to make that transition, but she's a little bit lost, doesn't really know where to start. Uh, what type of advice would you have for her? Um, there is so much information overload out there. It is, you know, again, I didn't grow up. I didn't have my kids in that era with the internet and all of this stuff available. It's such magnitude. So I would, I mean, you can make yourself crazy going on the web internet and searching. Um, I would just keep it really simple. Vegetables are so simple. Um, legumes, you know, roast some chickpeas. I would just keep it really simple. Um, I like cookbooks. I, I'm a big cookbook fan. Um, and then I'm not bombarded by too much noise that, you know, if I go on the internet, look for recipes. Um, I, I, you know, just, and follow, um, there's a lot of great people out there, you're, you included, um, you know, where you're putting some great simple content out there and just stick with, stick with a handful of people that you um, really like what they're saying and like, like what they're, um, you know, what they're offering and just keep it really simple. I think information overload is the number one thing we all suffer from. And, um, you know, in the food and nutrition world, it's just, there's so much noise. Mm -hmm. And it's too easy. I mean, you click on one uh, recipe and it directs you to another website, to another website, and then you end up down that rabbit hole and you still haven't made anything for dinner. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think just keeping it simple, really simple. Um, you know, like I said, vegetables can be as simple as just cut up vegetables and some amazing dips. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be complicated. I think consistency is the key. If you constantly mm -hmm. have these things on the table, over time, it will become a habit uh, and it will just become part of your kid's um, palate and culinary experience without any, you know, without stress. I just, I think just consistent, consistently having it available. Agreed. And I mean, without bringing too much attention to it, you know, just having it there. Um, I know for my stepkids, especially, I have the foods that, you know, they may not choose themselves. I make sure that they're eye level. So when they open the refrigerator, they can't see, well, we don't have a lot of the other stuff, but they still can't see something that they would make. They may want more than that. Um, if it's eye level and they're hungry, they'll grab it and eat it. Absolutely. And you know what, that is such a good point is to keep the healthy stuff eye level and really readily available for your kids. Maybe it's already cut up and in a container they can access 
make it so easy. And, you know, as parents, we're the gatekeepers to what comes into our homes. So if we don't want our kids to have it, don't bring it in the home. Exactly. If you want to go, go and have that sneaky, you know, indulgence of whatever, like, you know, and you don't want your kids to eat it, go do it outside the home or, you know, just don't do it in front of them. Like we all have our, you know, our, our, our treats and, and our special things that we like to have, not every day, but, you know, our, our cheats and our treats. Um, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I think as gatekeepers to what comes in our home, um, really being mindful of, of what we want our kids to have access to regularly. Exactly. Um, so talking about that, uh, you know, when you want to teach your kids, uh, how important do you think it is to really get them involved in prepping the meals, educating them on plant-based nutrition? I mean, how far should a parent go with that? I think it's really important if you can get your kids at an early age to be involved in the kitchen in whatever capacity, um, just to be in the space with you, to be familiar. Kids pick up by osmosis, they see what you're doing and they absorb it. Um, you know, as simple as chopping vegetables, teaching them how to use a knife and chop vegetables, um, helping them, um, giving them some input on the menu. Um, that's very empowering for, ki for kids. Um, I think just those daily habits of family living that is around communal eating. And I think that's a key thing is communal eating. Um, it's really hard today. We're really time stretched. Um, you know, sometimes we don't get to sit down as a family, but I think honoring that family meal once a day is so important. Um, you know, there's a, there's a saying, the families that eat together, stay together. And I, I do think there's some credence to that. Um, taking time to sit and have a communal meal, even better if it can be made together, but at least sit down and eat together, I think is really critical. Agreed. Now with, um, with nutrition and health and, you know, um, especially in children and, and especially with, uh, you know, with your story, do you feel that there is a direct correlation between between diet and things like autism spectrum disorder? I that's a that's such a long conversation. Um, I think um, in terms of managing autism, definitely um, diet factors in. I think that's been shown. Um, we have all kind we have so many parents who've weighed in on this and see a difference. Doctors are seeing this now and on board. And there's lots of research studies that are out there now that connect the brain and gut health as um, being um, completely in sync with each other. And with kids with autism tend to have a lot of GI problems, high inflammatory markers, oxidative stress. There's a whole host of um, dysfunction that can start from the gut and affect the brain. And they know that um, gut problems can affect behavior. So if you can manage a healthy flora and help to um, have a balanced um, um, flora in the, in the digestive system, then I think that there is definite improvements to be seen in behavior. When your child's not in pain to begin with, if you've got GI distress and you can't articulate it, if your child's not verbal, um, then you're gonna get behaviors. So I, I really subscribe to the belief that there are um, definite correlations between um, managing autism and diet. Right, 
and you know when it even when it comes to adults and behaviors and moods and that was the one thing that uh you know i went plant-based for an inflammatory disease but there were so many other benefits that uh that i got out of it and one was you know i suffered from pmdd which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder it's like pms on steroids oh yeah yeah and and, and that has resolved itself you know my moods are much more balanced and i mean a lot of that was the refined sugars uh, mm -hmm. but as well the inflammation uh the bad gut bacteria you know it all plays a part Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing that you found a way to heal yourself and you did it through, through food. Yeah. And I mean, it was my reluctancy to take synthetic hormones, you know, uh, a few of the medications had a long list of uh, side effects that were far worse than what I was going through originally. So yeah. I thought, you know, I'll set the bar low. I'll try this for 30 days. If it works, it works. If if it doesn't, it doesn't, and uh, and it worked. So I'm <laughs> so I'm happy about that. Amazing. And so that's in amazing. Wow. In terms of um, you know, we have in Toronto. There, a lot of our audience will will be in other places of the world, but in Toronto, we have restaurants like Planta, Hawaii. Um, you know, there's Rosalina's, which is brand new. Uh, how do you feel that Toronto is doing on you know embracing this plant-based lifestyle compared to say other places in the world? Well. I think Toronto has got some amazing restaurants. Uh, it's I think we've got incredible chefs, plant-based chefs, and even you know traditionally trained chefs who are switching over to plant-based cooking. Um, I think that we are uh, have such great choice. I can't really compare it to other parts of the world. Um, I know the West Coast tends to be you know far ahead of the East, but generally speaking um but i think toronto has some amazing choices and i mean there's a freshie on every block now like that's amazing and the fact that ikea has these veggie balls that sell out is phenomenal like you know like very mainstream <clears throat> places <clears throat> who would have thought ikea would have a runaway hit with their veggie balls you know um so yeah, I think we've done, uh, I think our industry here is really um, driving forward with some amazing innovation. Absolutely. Uh, last question for you. Um, so yes. my favorite energy sphere is the ginger zinger. Um, I wanna know from you, what do you think the most popular energy sphere is? Well, if I was to have a, a favorite child it would be the ginger zinger as well <laughs> um i would say the most favorite energy sphere is the coolest mint yeah i think i think it's such a classic pairing of flavors and people people are very it's very um a, just a very classic flavor and i think people know it well um but then again it's very it's very um, demographic dependent, depending on what part of the city you're in. Yeah, I have a lot of people who will um, be hesitant to try ginger zinger because they say, mm, I don't know about ginger and chocolate, and then they try it and they actually really like it. So um, I'm with you on the ginger zinger. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn, I want to thank you very much for contributing to this conversation and talking about your amazing products and your fantastic stories.
Thank you so much, Jennifer. And thank you for doing what you do and putting such positive, healthy energy out into the world. We really appreciate what you do. Thank you. The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of plant-based nutrition is to share information. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and family, both in person and through social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm so thankful for each and every share, mention, and follow from you guys. And if you're looking for more plant-based recipe inspos or you want to kickstart your very own plant-based journey, please visit www.jenniferz.com. Until next time, guys, stay healthy, happy, and plant-based.